Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. Hello. So we want to welcome special guests this week, Utah State Senator Mike Kennedy here with us. Welcome, Senator. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Mike. Absolutely. To get us started, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Like what district do you serve and How'd you get your start in the state legislature? Yeah, thanks. I So I've been in the, this is my ninth session in the state legislature. I started in 2013 in the House, spent six years there and uh, ran against Mitt Romney for the Republican nomination and easily was defeated, but had a great experience going around the state, having an opportunity to, to see the, the, the state's an amazing state. The people are great people. And I don't really care what kind of party they represent or whatever. They It's, it's just really, it was really inspiring to go around the state and and run that campaign. And so I was off um, legislative duty for a couple of years and kind of thought at that point I was gonna be done with things. And uh, actually this seat opened up a couple of sessions ago. So I ran in four and got it and then just ran in the next, uh, in the most recent general election. So I'm a family doctor, I have eight children, um, seven grandchildren, you know, Corey and Todd, life's life's good and and the legislature's complicated there's a lot of things going on out there but i i was born to be a problem solver and i i love to try to bring people together and figure out complex problems and i do it every day professionally and um this sb16 has really put me to the task it's been a real challenge but um i think with me and many others we're we're getting to the right place well great stuff so on friday the senate passed utah state senate passed three bills centered on Gender treatments for minors. And one of those bills, SB 16, that you just mentioned that you sponsored, would ban gender reassignment surgery for minors, and place a moratorium on puberty blockers for teens. Senator, can you tell us about the bill and your motivations behind it? Yeah, the moratorium. So let, let's focus on that. You said moratorium on puberty blockers. It would be a uh, moratorium on puberty blockers and cross sex hormones. It also uh, builds a regulatory framework and to uh, to license those individuals that are practicing in this space of healthcare, and also it enhances statute of limitations from normal two to three years for a malpractice claim in this area. If you're if you're going to treat these individuals, the individual if they have a malpractice claim would have up to age 25 years old to make that claim. So, so there's a few parts to it, and uh, I for me, Corey, it's over and over again. I've been saying the same thing as far as I do believe this is uh, this bill is firm. I, I believe it's also responsible, and I, I think it's compassionate as well. And I, I recognize there's a lot of heated, intense emotions on both sides of this. There, there are many people that have great concerns about what is happening in the transgender healthcare delivery area, and um, many people that don't want us as a legislature or government to do anything in that area. They want it to be as it is, just um, entirely unregulated. And I, I call it the the mom and pop hormone shop kind of wild west of go to wherever you want i mean you can you can kind of do whatever you want and i practice um healthcare in in utah county i I represent north uh, utah county northeast utah county and and um there's a there's a variety of uh of participants in this area of healthcare, and um many of them seem for whatever reason to be local located in draper don't know exactly what it is about Draper's licensing or whatever, but there's a lot of a lot of people delivering this kind of healthcare, and um, I just fundamentally I think it's if if children are going to receive this kind of healthcare, 
and uh, we're going to place a moratorium on new entrance to it, then, then we ought to make sure that those that practice in this area know what they're doing. So the regulatory framework, and that'll continue to expand, I think, as I, I, I'm bringing it to the House. I already know there's House amendments. People want to they want to enhance the regulatory framework to increase the, the quality of care these people get. Um, so so um, yeah, uh, bringing it to the House, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of amendments, lots of input. House committee is this Tuesday, so I'll expect anybody listening that cares, we welcome you to the committee and love to have your input if you wanna participate. But um, the regulatory framework, I think is really important. It's um, at this point, there's anybody, including a family doctor like myself, a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, could hold themselves out as a transgender healthcare delivery expert for children. And I, I just don't find that to be acceptable for our, our state. Our children deserve the best quality care. So, so um, that's also, I think it's a really important part of this. Will we, will we uh, put the pause on what we're doing and gather information? We're also gonna build a regulatory framework, which I think is important. That makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, you, you mentioned this, but you've received some really vitriolic criticism from from <laughs> activists and others sure yeah you know they say your bill is motivated by hate for transgender kids how do you respond to that yeah it's really interesting Corey, to hear that because um i i know most of the members i mean there's new members in the house that i don't know i've gotten to know uh the new senators for example i don't i don't meet anybody in the state legislator legislature i don't i don't care what party they're a uh, participant in that hates anybody we're all of us different opinions we're all trying to do the best that we can and um the thing about this for me Corey, is is um this has been percolating around the legislature now it's the third session we've been looking at this stuff and i i think at some point somebody's got to do something and i it, there's there's a there's a time and a place and a season for certain things and this uh, this issue's ripe I, I think the legislature is ready to do something i was approached over the summer to, to um, consider some policy opportunities for the legislature to step in. And, and as a doctor, I, I'm not an endocrinologist. I don't pretend to be an endocrinologist. I didn't want to be an endocrinologist, but I, I know something about hormones and healthcare. And, and, and I was approached because of that expertise to possibly bring some alternative policies to the, to the table. And I, I believe I have it. I think this bill fits many of our needs and it's going to continue to change as it goes forward so then one more you know, some folks are arguing that that these uh medical decisions should be reserved exclusively for parents and the child the patient and their health care providers why should the state be getting involved at all how do you respond to that yeah it's a great question i keep getting asked that as well and i i um you know it's really interesting because it kind of depends on where people are at because when it came to covid parental choice nope you got no parental choice we're shutting the school down <laughs> okay well, where was the parental choice in that? Um, so and everybody falls in different categories depending on what the issue is. But for your listeners, there are lots of state interventions and parental rights uh, in the form of if you want to give your child alcohol, you're forbidden to do that. If you want to give your child tobacco products, you're forbidden to do that and so on. We all know that there's their parental rights are powerful and I deeply em embrace support and want to promote them in the state legislature, but they're not absolute. And in this case, I believe the legislature has a right to step in when we're talking about the safety, health, and welfare of the children of our state. Yeah, that's a strong rationale. So Todd, you voted in favor of it. What, what are your thoughts on the bill? 
Well, I, I think that um, for me, uh, first of all, I really appreciated Senator Kennedy's thoughtful approach. We've been talking off and on about this for months. I know he's done a lot of research more than I have. Um, probably for me, the, um, I love the fact that his bill, you know, for for youth in the state of Utah who are already on hormones or, or puberty blockers, um, the bill allows them to remain on. So we're not going to push anybody off a cliff when it comes to ending a medication. So I like that aspect. Um, the bill is going to uh, study this for the next three years and try to collect some data. Um, I'm very, very concerned that our medical community as a whole, uh, some of these organizations like, um, well, that have taken positions on these issues, that, that they become political advocacy groups. And um, instead of, you know, uh, putting the patient first, and, and we're talking about children, they're putting the political agenda first. And, and I think Senator Kennedy recognizes that as a physician himself. And um, I think that the the really thing the thing that pushed me over the edge uh, on this bill because I, you know, I probably would have voted against. Well, if Rex Ship's similar bill had come um, over last year from the House, it didn't. I would have probably voted against it. But last spring, um, well, so let me start off by saying there were several countries in Europe, including Sweden, Denmark, France, and uh, England that were about a decade ahead of the United States in treating transgender youth with puberty blockers and hormones. And last spring, all four of those countries uh, put the brakes on and pretty much stopped doing that. I think France, it was a strong warning against it. Um, they're, they're a decade ahead of us and they're saying, whoa, 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 stop. And, and the, uh, the national physicians advocacy groups are saying, Put that pedal to the metal. And I think right. there's something wrong. Exactly. I think there's something wrong there. And I think um, I, I like that Senator Kennedy uh, is saying, let's press the pause button, gather some more research and make educated decisions, because these are our children that we're talking about. And by the way, Corey, I don't know if you know this. Um, the FDA has never approved this. I learned this from Senator Kennedy these drugs for the treatment of transgender children for a long-term basis. Now, these drugs have been used. You know, if you had a child that started puberty at seven, uh, you might, or eight or nine, you, they might take these, uh, uh, these drugs for two or three years and then start puberty at 11 or something like that. But to, to put, some, put someone on these uh, hormones for a decade, uh, purely for transgender purposes, um, that's never been authorized by the FDA. And I, and I understand that, it's not uncommon for a drug to get FDA authorization in one aspect and then for doctors to start using it in others. But when we're, when we talk about following the science, um, we don't have a lot of science to follow. We have a lot of political agendas, but not a lot of science to follow. Yeah. Senator Kennedy, can you speak to that? Cause I know I've, I've heard you speak to it before and obviously you're in the medical profession as a doctor. What do we know about, I mean, what studies do we have to show, that give us a sense for, the, the outcomes many years later. Yeah, Senator Weiler is very helpful on the floor to point that out. I think it's really important uh, consideration. And there's a few thoughts that I have about that. First, I, I as a family doctor, am privileged to take care of anywhere from six day old babies all the way up to my oldest patient is 99 years old. And um, it's, it's a perspective. I, I don't take out gallbladders, uh, which the surgeons, they see people here and there for the issues they might need a new knee, a gallbladder out, endocrinology, I've got hormone problems, I need you to help me with that. 
But the primary care doctor, even pediatricians, they, they see the child up until 18. And guess who takes over at that point? Either an internal medicine doctor or myself. The, the longitudinal nature of what I bring to the table on this is, is really interesting to me because that's where the studies come in. And that's Corey and Todd and your listeners. And I, I think you get this when I say it, but a lot of people don't think about it is when you stop puberty, what is the 70 year outcome associated with that? Oh, we only did that for three years. We put a pause on puberty. And then, and then when we take the Lupron off, then the child reinitiates their, their normal puberty status and they'll be fine for the rest of their lives. Oh, really? Do we have 70 years worth of data of that? I, we don't. I can guarantee you we don't. The, the, uh, the current trends in transgender healthcare delivery, the, the best I'm seeing are coming out of the European countries and their 20-year follow-ups. But even those are based on surveys. They'll mail out surveys, get a 30% response rate. And, and uh, guess who's going to respond? The people generally that are pleased with this. Where did all the rest of them go? And even 20 years, it's really hard for us, for me, uh, as, a, as a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I know a lot about science. I spent a lot of time studying and uh, working through that in college and otherwise. And the, the reality is, is what is the 30 and 50 year circumstance associated with these, these changes to people's brains and bodies? And that's, um, if anybody doesn't admit that the brain is affected by hormones and puberty and the body, then they're not, they're not making any sense because mm -hmm. we've all, all of us listening, unless they're children, have been through the pubertal change and, and the, the brain and the body both change. And the question is, do we cheat these children with puberty blockers out of some sort of bone development, for example, blood vessel development, neurological development, and in a way that the current studies, even the more longitudinal studies uh, coming out of the European countries, but, but worse than that is we've got six and 18 month studies here in the United States that we're hinging our decisions of these children's healthcare on and, and they're often, they're observational studies. They're not double blind uh, longitudinal studies for decades. And, and then people say, well, we can't do those studies. And I say, well, in that case then, how can we endorse a healthcare delivery process that may put our children into long-term circumstances that are not healthy for them, especially the surgeries. I mean, once you've taken off healthy body parts, you're never getting them back, uh, no matter what you think about that. So, so I, I think it is incumbent on the legislature to consider that the evidence there's problems with the evidence and it's not just me saying that the florida medicaid department did a scientific review of the literature and that's a lot of what i've studied to try to sort through what is the what is the truth of the matter with this and they've determined that the vast majority of studies are weak or very weak as to the quality of the evidence and and those that promote the transgender health care would say well that's because we that's just what we have to do we can't do it i mean if you're going to do a surgery you can't do a you can't do a double blind surgery and assign somebody to make them think they had a surgery. They know if they had surgery or not. Frankly, when you use hormones, you know if you're on the hormones or not. You can't do, I understand that. You can't do a double blinded study on whether you get hormones or not. But where is the 30 and 50 year data? And the answer is we don't have that because this is a relatively new phenomenon. And so as a state, and actually I think as a country and with our professional advisory bodies, we need to be thoughtful about what what it is that uh, this is going to do to these children over decade after decade. Because I see impact when people are uh, 70 and 80 years old, I see things that are happening to them that started in their 15 and 20, when they were 15 and 20 years old and so on. So I'm really interested in that long, long-term nature of things. And I think we ought to be careful when we're moving in that direction.
Mike, um, I've heard some uh, local activists um, citing a study from Stanford uh, that's fairly recent. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, it depends on which which one. I and if I don't have it, I'd love you to send it to me. I um, there's all sorts of these. Oh, there's is that um, Jennifer Plum was sending out a, a 51 study survey. I can't remember if that came from Stanford or not, but um, uh, yeah, send it along to me. I'm happy to look at it. But I've looked at a lot of these studies and I have uh, deep concerns about the long term, uh, the lack of long term evidence. This is not going to change these children in a in a harmful way. I think you make a compelling case, and I, for one, uh, you know, applaud your courage to take on this issue. It's a tough one. And, and I think what's particularly worrisome right now is it just seems like there's an explosion in the number of kids, particularly middle school-aged girls, who, who suddenly um, are in this space, and it's often occurring within friend groups. So, you know, I have no doubt that true gender dysphoria exists, that some tiny percentage of the population does feel like they were born in, in the wrong body. And I think we need to have compassion for those people, especially those kids. No one wants to see children suffer, you know, physical or mental harm. But when it's, when it's occurring all of a sudden in such an explosive way and among friend groups, it's hard not to suspect an element of social contagion. And, and while some therapists see Obviously, these are irreversible surgeries, but see, see that as the answer in so many cases. I don't know. It's almost like common sense tells us this stuff's pretty risky. It's permanent. Uh, and to the extent that, you know, what are the outcomes 20 years later? You just, I think, made a compelling case that we just don't know. And, you know, and actually for both of you, I, I've got evidence that I haven't used in my public testimony of um, the, so testosterone is a controlled substance. And there's a reason why it's a controlled substance, because it enhances blood volume development, it enhances blood flow, it increases energy and muscle strength, et cetera. Athletes can use it illegally to promote their athletic prowess. So we as a state, we can track on the controlled substance database, we can control, we can analyze testosterone prescriptions. I can't in the same way analyze estrogen prescriptions, but I've got evidence of a 30-fold increase between 2012 and 2022, a 30-fold increase in testosterone use in minors, females. Um, so wow. in other words, we, we have the patients and we, and so the absolute numbers and just round numbers, uh, the number in 2012 was, if I remember correctly, it was six and it's 263 or 270, somewhere right around there for 2022. And so when you wow. start running those numbers, it's like, and, and there's a couple th thoughts about that data. First, that data is not all of the prescriptions in the state because people can ship in these prescriptions and they, the controlled substance database, uh, they estimate it includes about 60% 60, 60 of the prescriptions and it doesn't include anybody receiving estrogen. And so, so as to, um, we, I, I've got the numbers in my, in my possession that reflect that there's been, in 10 years, there's been a 30-fold increase on the, based on these numbers of testosterone prescriptions for minor females, natal females, that means they're born females. And you have to ask yourself a question of where were all these people 20 years ago? And the answer is they were not, it's as Todd mentioned, this, none of this is FDA approved. And if you went 20 years ago and asked how many children are getting testosterone, the answer is zero. But all of a sudden in the past 10 years, there's been a significant uptick. And I, I think the state should be sensitive to the, to the significance of what that might mean for these children's long-term health. And, you know, um, Corey, England shut down its only transgender center last year. But in the last 10 years, that transgender center in England 
saw a, a, a thousand percent increase in, in the wow. number of patients. And so, you know, there is a social element to this. I'm not saying that there aren't, uh, I mean, people have different views on transgender. I, I believe that there are some legitimate transgender teens in our state. And I, and I think that there's other teens that are kind of caught up in a fad. And when they're 25 or 30, they're not going to be identifying as transgender. We, we actually know that that is true. And so one of the reasons in my mind for um, sponsoring this bill is if you have someone that, you know, if you have a girl that has some tomboy tendencies as she's growing up, the last thing you want is, you know, some parents and some, um, you know, uh, agenda uh, advancing doctors to, to rush this girl onto all kinds of hormones or into surgery or whatever. We, we didn't have any teenage surgery going on in Utah, which people are using against the bill. And I'll, I'll turn that right around. Let's prohibit that before we start having teenage surgery. Yeah. I, you know, we just, we just saw Vanderbilt have to shut down their whole um, transgender, uh, uh, you know, uh, treatment facility because they came under intense scrutiny for what they were doing there. And, you know, let's not let those same mistakes happen here in Utah. Exactly. Todd, you also had a bill to pass the Senate, SB 100. Um, yeah, pretty simple. There, there's a lot of national organizations. Well, there's a couple of national organizations that are shopping around model policies for school boards, and they all seem to say uh, schools should help t- uh, children transition to a different sex and and leave the parents out of the discussion. Um, I I you know I'm fundamentally offended that we're going to tax parents. Uh, and and pay these people at these schools then to actively uh, adopt policies about minor children and then proactively hide those policies from parents. And we had uh, one school district, Salt Lake School District, adopt um, you know a, a policy along those lines. Now they've assured me, and I believe them, that 99% of the transition policies that they were doing, the parents were involved. I then said, well, what about the other 1%? So when I found out about Salt Lake's uh, school district's policy last fall, I sent them a letter. I identified Utah's state law and parental rights. And I said, I believed that their policy was in violation of state law. And they voluntarily agreed to resend that policy and and they've modified it. So I want to give them kudos for doing what I think is the right thing. Ultimately, I decided to run the bill anyway, because I know our other 40 school districts and our 125 charter schools are, are, are being uh, contacted you know, daily, weekly, monthly by these national organizations pushing this uh, agenda, which is anti-parent. And so um, I don't believe my bill is going to make a huge change right now. But again, let's get the policy, the state policy in place before it's too late. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Senator Kennedy, thanks so much for joining us. Very informative, very helpful. Thanks for all your hard work. We uh, we appreciate the stuff that you get done. Yeah, good to talk to you both and be in touch if you need further information. We'll see how things go this week, but good to be on. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Right, great. Thanks a lot.